Hello, I'm Michael T.J. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned taking advantage of technology in their legal work and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guest to provide their top three best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea for you along the way. My next guest is author, speaker, and blogger, Ernie the Attorney Svensson. Ernie, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you joining us again for the listener. Uh, Ernie did a really great podcast recording uh, a little while ago, but because of technology gremlins, we lost that recording, but he's been gracious enough to come back and do it again. And uh, let's start from the beginning. So Ernie, tell us, what is your current tech setup? Um, So I'm a Mac user. So I use a Apple laptop, a MacBook Pro. It's a 2006. 16, I believe. So I'm looking, you know, forward to when the new keyboards come out and I'll probably get one of those, but I run everything off of that. I have an LG monitor that I plug into that and I have a wireless keyboard and a wireless mouse and that's my setup. I use iPads sometimes and my iPhone all the time, but really it's my iPhone and my, and my Mac laptop. That's my setup. So if I may ask, is that LG, the infamous 4K that everyone brags about and talks about? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's funny. Uh, it might be, I don't, you know, I paid about $699 at the Apple store because yep. Apple had gotten rid of their their monitors. And so mm-hmm. that's what they sold. And I talked to the guy and he said, this is a good one. So it, it probably is. It was about $699. That sounds about the right price of what I paid for a couple of years ago. And if you look online, it's still like one of the top five most popular monitors for external monitors for your laptops or, you know, extra monitors for your, um, your heart, your desktop, excuse me, your yeah. desktop computer. Yeah. Um, and I've got two flanking me uh, right now. It actually not for the uh, podcast listener, but, you know, Ernie and I can see each other right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately or fortunately the listener won't have to, look at us while listening to us. But um, going back to the keyboard for just a second. So I've got a 2017 laptop with the, the now old keyboard. I haven't had any problems uh, with, the, mm. with the mechanisms, have you? Yeah, I have. It's very annoying. I hate typing on it. I'd rather, in fact, the reason I use the iPad when I use the iPad um, is mostly because the keyboard on the iPad for me is actually easier to deal with than the keyboard on the Mac. Um, wow. Yeah, that's how bad it is. I mean, the keyboard on the iPad uh, is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry to hear that you're having those kind of issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier and we sort of wanted to do a little um, prologue into our questions because uh, we wanted to talk about, from your perspective, why are people so overwhelmed with technology today, especially given uh, the COVID environment we're in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've I've thought a lot about. I mean, I, I guess if if there's something I do that I notice other people don't do as much, is I'm not as much of a technology enthusiast, although I certainly appreciate what it can do. 
I'm more interested in how people adapt to difficult situations in life. So technology is the perfect laboratory for this because there's massive, rapid, sudden uh, change that's disruptive, that's unsettling, all that kind of stuff. So I find that very interesting. How do people adapt to that? And I would have thought that by now, a lot of people who were tech enthusiasts would have adapted much better. And I use myself as the prime example. I'm like, why is this stuff frustrating me so much? And I came across this book by a guy named Richard Saul Werman, who's famous for having created the TED Talks. And he is the, the person who first coined the phrase information architecture. And he's got a book called Information Anxiety, which is in the second edition. So there's Information Anxiety too. And in that book, which is all about this kind of stuff, like why, you know, is information so harmful or why do we have problems with it or how can we do it, use it better? He talked about on this one area about this a progression of understanding. And so he says, we don't really have information overload. We, what we have is data overload. And data is individual atoms of facts of whatever, you know, by themselves, data is not, you know, useful. It doesn't really do anything. It's a single thing. It, it, it's when you combine data, if it's useful data, then you can start to see things in an informative way. And that yields information, which is the second level of the progression of understanding. And then at the higher, the next highest level, which is knowledge, there are people with knowledge who, who can take information and combine it with their experience and perspective that they've acquired. And that's more valuable, right? And then the All ultimate right. la layer is wisdom, which is, um, a combining knowledge across multiple domains. So like if you're a poker player, for example, you know, just knowing the value of the cards, that's some data, knowing what card somebody holds, that's some data, knowing the probabilities, that's some data. None of that stuff by itself is useful. But when you combine these things, and then maybe together with your ability to read people's tells, mm -hmm. which you do over time, you acquire knowledge and knowledge is like instinctive, you know, and it's, you just have a gut feel and you can process information and make decisions at a high level. Computers are not yet operating a lot at the knowledge level, although with AI, they may start to, um, and they're definitely not operating at the wisdom level. And so what I realized is that where people are struggling with technology is they haven't figured out how to optimize what's happening at the data and information level. Either they're not good at organizing their data or they're not good at quickly extracting any information they need out of it um, so that they can spend more of their time at the knowledge level where there's more value and there's less competition from computers and AI, right? And so the more I've, I've realized that that's my job, you know, as a knowledge worker, the more I think, okay, well, I'm willing to spend a little time organizing data and information, but only so that it can inform me really quickly at the knowledge level. I'm not going to spend time organizing data just in case, you know, right. It's like just in time. Manual. So I think of it right. as a knowledge factory, like the knowledge factory, which is what we have. You want to get this information just at the moment you need it. You don't want to like compile a resource library just in case that's what Google is for. Right. So right. I think what happens is we haven't stopped to think about that, that the analogies we used in the traditional industrial, actual physical factory world don't apply in most cases to the knowledge world, like the knowledge world, so here there's difference. Like in the industrial world, like, you know, Henry Ford assembly line, everybody goes to this one place, the factory, they all work together. They all get to see the thing being built in actual three-dimensional space. 
and then they leave at, at five o'clock. So nine to five, they're there, then they're not. And this is a very easy to understand world. It doesn't require a lot of uh, conceptual, conceptualizing. In the knowledge world, all of those paradigms go away. There is no one place. You're not, used, you're not just building one thing. You're building it at different times in different ways. And wrapping your head around how to make that work when it's all ephemeral stuff is much more challenging than if somebody dropped you into the physical industrial factory, you could figure that out because you can see it all happening. Right. So once you understand that that's the problem, then you realize what you need to do is set up your knowledge factory so that you can work efficiently in those contexts, right? Given that you're not going to get to do all your work all at once, right. but rather you're going to have to dive in and do a little bit here today at this moment, and then you can go over here. And so you have to have an understanding that that's what needs to happen and then set up habits and routines and you know tools and everything else that enable that. And you have to do this very consciously because it isn't going to happen by accident. Like if you just go, gee, you know, I hope that I get more organized. You're not, because again, it's, you're not looking at physical space stuff. You're dealing with uh, remote working, you're dealing with remote workers, you're dealing with all, you're working from anywhere, anytime if you need to. So it's a whole different paradigm. And that book, I think, is a is a great book. I think everybody should get that book. Well, let me let me ask. See, I, in a sense, I'm a little confused. Not by yeah. what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I'm confused that lawyers are having this problem. And by way of example, I remember a job I had some so many years ago before I had started my own practice that. Uh, you know, the senior attorney came in with all of these boxes of paper. And I was told that I am to look through every single piece of paper because, you know, they want to category, categorize everything. They want, you know, descriptions of everything, every single piece of paper. But I had worked there longer than the senior attorney and, you know, my boss, the, the higher-ups, if you will, uh, told me, you know, had told me how to do things and that you look for very specific pieces of paper. And from those pieces of paper, you look for very specific pieces of information. And I would think that as attorneys, that we would know how to, you know, filter through and find the exact pieces of data that we need. Mm -hmm. So, and I understand I understand everything that you're saying, and it makes sense. I, I guess that I would would think that attorneys are better trained. Yeah, but they were trained in the three-dimensional old model, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And so I think it's kind of like, you know, there's an analogy, I guess. I don't know if this is a great analogy, but you know how, like, there are companies that built premise-based software, like practice management software, right. and it was built on the assumption that you ran a server in your office, and then right. they sold you the stuff. Okay. And Microsoft sold servers for their window for their uh, their email programs and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But now, we've moved to the cloud, and everybody understands the economics favor the cloud. So all the hesitancy and fear about the cloud has gone away. And so, people who, if you're going to use software that does stuff, and if if you want to take advantage of the cloud, never use software that was premise-based to begin with mm -hmm. and then was ported over somehow to the cloud. The only two people, only two companies that have succeeded with this are Microsoft mm -hmm. and Intuit with QuickBooks Online. Otherwise, it's all garbage because the foundation has to be there. And I think in some ways that's true here. Like you have to start over thinking this through foundationally. And so this is why, this is why computer programmers get this intuitively because there was never – 
paper for computer programs. Right. You don't have to go like, oh, there was paper, and now let's translate everything we learned about processing stuff with paper to digital. They, that's all they ever knew, right? So I think that's true with lawyers. It's like, it's not that they can't do it, but you're not going to use those analogies that you had and, and you're going to do stupid things. You're going you're gonna to say, I mean, starting with the stupidest, which was the people who used to print out their emails, right? right. And then tell their secretary to respond. That was like the stupidest thing, right? That's creating additional right. friction. Uh, but it's, there's just, it, there are things that you don't, you know, it's like, for example, if you're trained to think instinctively, habitually, in a very like reflexive way, if I want to know something, let me call the person who knows it right? That's what right. we all tend to do if you're born in the, in the older world. But the reality is you, Google's sitting right there. And I find myself, I catch myself all day long going, oh yeah, I'm going to go ask. So like, no, no, the Google machine's there. Right. Type into the Google machine. And even if the Google machine doesn't know the answer, that first step helps refine my thinking, just like writing helps refine your thinking. So the act of searching refines your thinking when done digitally in a way that right combing through card files and index files didn't do much, right? Like it, that wasn't refining your thinking. But when you can instantly search and get results and see things, that's a way of thinking mm-hmm. faster, right? But lawyers don't tend to think like that as, as do other people who are in professions that weren't natively digital. Okay, I get it. I get it. So it's basically uh, making it into the digital divide. Yeah, totally. It's it is a digital divide thing. Like you read, you need to rewire your habitual thinking methods mm-hmm. to to spend less time doing things that don't matter much or at all, so that you can capture those you know exponentially leveraged things. Like the famous eighty twenty rule in the digital world, there's a lot of stuff that lawyers are spending eighty percent of their time on that yields twenty percent return on investment, whereas right. what they should be doing is the opposite, you know, yield, you know, investing in the 20% or the 10% that yields right. higher, but they have trouble thinking in those terms in the digital world. Well, in a sense, I think this part of the discussion sort of uh, leads into our first question. And, uh, you know, my first question is, what are three major ways the, your conference and your program, your small firm bootcamp uh, is adapting, uh, by use of technology in light of the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so I, when I try to help people, whether it's through live conferences or one-on-one or creating courses or programs, I try to think, you know, it's the old Wayne Gretzky thing. You want to skate to where the puck's going to be. So I've learned, I don't want to do things that if I do it this way and explain it this way, then, you know, two years from now or, or three months from now, that's not going to be as effective as the latest YouTube video. So I'm trying to teach people principles of technology because like I said earlier, that's what people need. They need to think differently about technology. Yeah. You know, I can tell you if you tell me, Oh, I use a Mac and okay, we well, use a Mac. And then, um, well then you should use this tool. Cause I use this tool on my Mac and it's really great. You know, like text expander is this text expansion right. tool. It's amazing, right? Like use text expander. Everybody who has a Mac or a windows computer, cause it works on windows should use text expander. But the real problem isn't just telling people tools. I've observed, why do they have trouble wrapping their head around text expander, even though I know, and anybody who's used it knows, it is the most amazing thing. It's because they're not grasping that that, uh, the best tech tools, in my opinion, are not the ones that manifest their utility quickly. They actually are the ones you have to wrestle with. 
And the less tech savvy you are, mm-hmm. the more you're going to wrestle. And the less tech savvy you are, the more you're going to resist and fail to appreciate earlier on what it's going to lead to. Because you, you're like thinking, well, this is technology. It's got this push button magic component to it. And that's probably the first thing I would try to disabuse people of. It's like, yeah, a lot of it does. But mostly the stuff that does is quick, shiny object stuff that doesn't really give you 10x return on investment. The 10x return on investment comes from automation. Mm-hmm. And automation, you know, requires you to be thoughtful. It's like, you know, solving the automation problem, whatever it is, is like, you know, writing out a formula, a math formula. It's not just like, hey, I want thing to magically do this. There's a whole bunch of calculations in the middle. Right. Right. And this is what lawyers, I think, have been misled or, you know, they it, it, somebody hasn't explained to them. It's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle there, right? Right. You know, knowing you want to automate and going to get the tool and then having the stuff come out the end that's the way you want it requires a lot of optimizing and thinking, right? You, you think more carefully in the beginning, that helps. Right. Or you fix a lot more problems at the end that if, that, if you need to. Or better yet, you think more in the, be- in, the, in the beginning, get better at thinking about how to set up the problem and don't have to spend as much time at the end fixing problems. You're mostly just tweaking. And that is essentially what software people do, okay? You know, right. that's what they do. Like they, if there's a way to fix the methodology, they fix the methodology. Like the Scrum methodology is a methodology that they came up with. Like let's work really hard in sprints and then let's take a break and let's figure out what we can adjust to. Lawyers don't, would lawyers ever think, have you ever seen a lawyer say, I'm going to work really hard on my practice for like a month and then stop and take a break for a couple of days and figure out what's not working well? Never. No, they don't do that. Yeah. And it might not make sense for them to do it, but what I'm saying is they do have to reflect on their digital workflows somehow, some kind of way, um, because they're not just competing against other lawyers who are getting better at this. They're competing against machines that are getting better at this. Well, how do you, how do you convince someone like, you know, say, well, for text expander, well, you know, I don't know anything about programming. This is going to be too complicated. You know, why should I even bother? Oh my God, if you're, all right, so first of all, lawyers are rigorous thinkers. If they're trained properly, you know, the ones who get it and learn, they understand, like, I need to make this argument first before that other argument, right? Like, this has to be proven first, then I can prove this other thing. They understand this. They're just not, they don't live in a world that's as ridiculously rigorous as programming is, where if Mm -hmm. you put a comma somewhere that doesn't belong, the machine breaks down completely, or at least it used to. Now with AI, it probably will figure it out. But, But lawyers aren't used to that level of rigor, but they do do rigorous thinking. What they need to do is map over that kind of thinking and say, oh, I get it. I'm telling it to do this. Then then I'm going to say, do this. And then if this condition happens and the machine is wondering, what do I do next? I tell it, do this or that, right? But lawyers, I mean, we've had the the luxury of being around a lot of other smart people, right? Like when I went to work at the firm, which is, you know, back in the 80s, they selected only the best people and you know it was all the stuff where you had to be on law review or you had to be a clerk right. and it was great you go in there and I, I remember hearing one of the senior partners say yeah we hired the best you know because it's their job to figure it out ah well you see we've gotten to the point where you can't i don't care how smart you are you can't figure it out as quickly as you need to it would be like saying you're a smart guy here's a plane 
now this plane will fly and do a bunch of cool stuff. And there's all kinds of YouTube videos and everything else. Knock yourself out and learn how to fly this plane. Well, first of all, planes are dangerous, but even if they could figure it out, wouldn't, isn't there a faster, better way to teach them than just say, here, we're going to put you behind the wheel and you figure it out. Like, and so I think a lot of lawyers think that things that they do aren't figure outable by a computer right. when that's just not true. People said computers would never play chess, play chess. People can't beat them. Computers will never play poker and beat the po play poker, beat the poker people. Computers will never play go this complex Chinese game. Computers okay. have done that over, game over. They're getting better because what computers do is they can take data and sift it really fast and figure out which data is, is meaningful. And they can figure out which combinations of data are most meaningful. And that's almost like knowledge. And they're getting to the point where they can learn on their own without the programmers telling them to adapt their own behavior. So if you understand that that's what machines are doing, then what you need to be doing as a lawyer, if you want to remain relevant, is move farther down the progression of understanding away from information and data, and not just at low level knowledge, but higher level knowledge, right? Like, like low level knowledge is somebody comes to me and says, oh, I need a will. And I go, okay, well, let me go get my form and ask you some questions and then I'll fill it out and I'll give it to you. That problem has been solved by Zoom. Zoom used their technology and you know built an online business around that. Mm -hmm. That's over. You can't make money doing that. That's low level. That's gone, right? Higher level would be, well, I've helped a lot of people who are in the position you're in and who have you know, a need for a trust or they understand a, a Roth IRA. I just instinctively know how to save you time and get you the best advice. Go move up that value chain and be there because that's safer. Plus people will pay you more money for it and you'll be happier because those are more interesting problems. But if you're down there competing at pulling forms and filling them in with LegalZoom, good luck. So we sort of talked about like, I guess how you're trying to help attorneys cross the, the, digital, the digital divide, the digital bridge from attorney mm -hmm. to computers so that the computers will help them in their their day-to-day -day, um, activities with their office. What other, what are, other tools that you're using, say, for the conference or at the conference so that, you know, people are going to be obviously remotely, uh, you know, watching, you know, what do you use or what do you suggest for people who have these sort of video conferences to make it easier for them? Yeah. So, so my, my conference, that was the three-day conference is over. Mm -hmm. That was a great conference and definitely it's great to have like a conference where everybody's participating at the same time. Um, but what I mostly do is I teach people online through courses mm -hmm. and through my coaching program, which is an ongoing coaching program, which I started developing once I realized that the courses, no, no matter how good I made them, right, right. didn't give people the ongoing support that they needed. But one thing I've learned about courses, which mm -hmm. has opened my eyes is that there are, t there are two types of courses, type one and type two. Type one courses are where you put together a bunch of materials and you say, this is a course or a resource or whatever, and you go through it, Mr. Attorney, on your own, and you can watch the videos and you know, read the, the posts and get all that information and then execute it and you'll be great. Okay, that, that's okay, but 
what we were learning, people who do online education, is that the completion rate for those courses is typically pretty low, like 4%. Oh, wow. Yeah, really low. And it's because no matter how motivated people are, they just tend to, you know, get off track or they get busy or whatever, and they, they just don't stay motivated. If they're going through a course with other people all at the same time, that problem, you know, goes away or becomes much diminished. So I'm switching from doing online courses where it's, hey, go through it on your own to I run them periodically and take a cohort of students through. And that way it's better for me too, because for one thing, when I do the course for the first time, I don't try to imagine all of the things it could be. Again, what's a better way? What's the better knowledge work factory? Let's just map it out. Mm -hmm. Let's bring some people through. I'll learn while I'm doing it. And then when I bring the next cohort through, I will have improved it from the first, first cohort. After the second cohort goes through, I'll improve it again. But I'm always bringing people through live because that way they get to ask me questions. They get to interact with each other on the Zoom call and so forth. So that is the way that courses should be done. And that's how I'm, I'm switching all my courses to that except for a few. I mean, there's some foundational ones where people can, they'll be short, where people can go through on their own. And it's clear that they can complete because there's not more than just a few lessons. But if it's going to be like, you know, 20 lessons, you're going to need people to go through it in a cohort, a group, right? Because right. there's more accountability, there's more of a collegial community aspect and so forth. So that's that's been my big epiphany as far as online education goes. Well, so basically it sounds like not only do you need interaction with the instructor, with the instructor, but you also need interaction with the attendees. Yeah, yeah, because and 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 part of it, you know, I would never have realized this until I started doing it. But once I've been in, and I've got a group going through where I'm teaching a systems course, like how do you build systems? And what's great is they ask questions in Slack. So we have we put them in all in a Slack channel. Right. And it's a private channel for just them. And then they can ask questions and then the other people get to see what those questions are and they go back and forth and develop this questions. And I realize like, oh, okay, that's, a, that's worth zeroing in on because I see everybody is concerned about that or if, if they don't understand that. I, I'm getting feedback in real time to know what is worth it for me to dive into. But then they answer, they answer each other's questions and say, hey, did you check this out? Check that out. So it's better for everybody. It's better for me because they help each other All right. in ways that I couldn't. Um, but it's better for me to see them helping each other and understand where they need help. And that's going to help me with the next cohort. Um, and they feel like they're getting to know each other. And then those people who are in that, that course, who are also in my group coaching program, they get to know each other better. And now they'll talk to each other more, you know, better than they would if all they did was, you know, watch Slack generally and attend a few webinars a month. So along those lines, what tools do you think are best for that kind of uh, collaboration? Slack. Slack. Slack or Microsoft Teams, you know, depending on the ecosystem you're in. But I'm not a Microsoft user. So for me, you know, I don't get, I don't get Teams free with something else. And I already started using Slack. So Slack is the thing I use. But the idea of a simple, lightweight, flexible, powerful chat tool that has channels, because that's the key element, is you have topic discussion channels right. that persist so that people who join later can go in there and see what the discussions were. And so obviously Slack and Microsoft Teams have taken off. And so that is the tool to use for 
you know, the text-based, chatty communication, sharing files, all that kind of stuff. All that can happen in Slack. But then you still do need to meet face-to-face. So for that, Zoom. Mm -hmm. And Zoom is great because I just record the session and then upload that recording to the online course area. So I I use a a course um, creating program called Thinkific. Mm -hmm. And it lets you store, you know, video, PDFs, whatever, arrange it all into a course profile and sell it and collect money and stuff like that. So Thinkific or Teachable, if you want to use the other one that competes with Thinkific, um, Slack or Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Um, and Zoom to me, I, I used GoToMeeting for a while, but Zoom is better. People And now people are all getting more familiar with Zoom. So Zoom won that war or is winning that war. So Zoom is the obvious you know, meeting pro, um, tool. Skype, you could do Skype, but or you could do Google Hangouts, but more people know about Zoom and Zoom works, so. Excellent, excellent. Well, I, I appreciate all those thoughts. Uh, so we're talking about more conferencing. Let's just move uh, to a general question, if you will. What are yeah. three ways uh, attorneys are underusing technology in their practice? Uh, I would say whether, I'll, I'll give you examples of things that I think every lawyer should be doing with technology. So. One I mentioned was Text Expander, but I'll expand on it and say that what Text Expander is is a tool that lets you generate text of any type, formatted, you know, unformatted, in any context. So in an email, you can generate a bunch of text with Text Expander. In anywhere where text can be received into a form field, other than a password form field, because you can't, you know, automate that, but uh, anywhere that you would need to create text. So in a Word document, in a WordPerfect document, in a Pages document. So this tool is not only cross-platform, but it works across multiple applications. So that means that once you learn to use this tool and understand conceptually how to use it, you can deploy it everywhere, as opposed to a tool that lets you automate through macros that only works in Microsoft Word or wherever, right? Now, there, there comes a point with some of these tools where if your level of use is sophisticated enough, if you're doing document assembly in the real estate industry and there's some hot docs thing that you can get that automates at a super high level, well, great, go use the proprietary dedicated specific one. But I would argue that you still should know how to use Text Expander because that's going to let you crank out emails. I get emails from people all the time like, oh, you know, do you want to appear, you know, can I appear on your podcast or something? And, right. Any communication that is templatable, you know, mm-hmm. I can create a template out of it, I use Text Expander for. So Text Expander is one, but I know people have trouble wrapping their head around it. So I would say, you know, my course teaches that. I teach that in my coaching program. A fellow named Brett Burney has two courses yep. specifically for lawyers that teaches that. So there are people already out there who are teaching lawyers how to use Text Expander. I don't think you need a lawyer person to teach you because it's, you know, once you understand the concept, you should be able to connect the dots. But if you want to learn it from a lawyer, those are the options. The next one is automated scheduling via online. Everyone has to schedule stuff. Right. And it's a pain in the ass and it's stupid to have to go back and forth Mm -hmm. with, well, when are you available? When I'm available? That's ridiculous. Right. So I need to schedule stuff you know, or let people book time with me. 
Right. So I, I use Acuity, but there's Acuity, there's Calendly, there's Schedule One. So I'm sure right. there's another one, right? It doesn't matter which one you use. Conceptually, they're all the same. I used Schedule One initially. I, used, I switched to Acuity. I like Acuity, so I recommend it because I know it. And I can help people with it because I know it because it starts to get complex behind the scenes. You know, you have to kind of know where things are and all that stuff. But, but the idea that somebody can book an appointment with me for different kinds of meetings, like one is, oh, um, you want to talk to me for 20 minutes and I'll let you do that for free. All right, well, that's one calendar link. And if you are going to do that, I'm going to make you fill out a form and tell me what you're looking to do and ask you know questions about your practice so that when you've answered those questions and you can't book the appointment without answering them, then the appointment shows up on my calendar uh -huh. automatically. And so do the questions so that before I go to meet with you, I can refer to those questions. You can reschedule the, the appointment because it's going to trigger an email that goes out to you the day before. Hey, by the way, tomorrow you're going to appointment with Ernie. Are you still going to make it? If not, you can reschedule or you can cancel right. An hour before, same thing, you know, reschedule or cancel. So I, sometimes people book appointments, sometimes they cancel, sometimes reschedule. I don't even deal with that. I don't, I don't even worry about it right. until the moment that, you know, five minutes before they're going to call me. I check and see, I go, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. If they want to, if I want somebody to appear on my podcast, I can send them a link and go here. And then that asks some questions about, do you have a USB mic? Do you know this? Do you know that? So you can have different appointment types and you can automate this. So this is scheduling automation as opposed to text creating automation. Um, those, are, those are two involving automation. And then I would say for virtual assistants, there's a lot of options out there, but there are two services that are to me, the training wheels, you know, you should start here. And if you can figure this out, then you can go forward. So Fiverr has become really robust. So it used to be really simplistic, but, there's all these people that you can get to do stuff for you. And, and the reason why Fiverr took off was they constrained um, the behavior that, you know, the things, the options, they constrained the options that people had, which I'm going to come back and talk about constraint in a second, because it figures back into what I said earlier about the knowledge worker thing. But the problem with, you know, a virtual assistant is you have to know, well, okay, what level of competency do you have? What am I going to ask him for? And so if you're just looking for a general person who helps you with a lot of stuff, that's too hard for most lawyers to wrap their heads around and it's not efficient and it doesn't become effective. But on Fiverr, you say, I need somebody to build me a WordPress website. I can scroll around and see, okay, this person will do it for, will give me four pages for, you know, and do it for $300. Right. So the constraints are by the job description. I don't okay. get to ask them, you know, you, well, you can, because Fiverr's gotten more sophisticated. And there are options that let you do that. But generally speaking, there's, you know, a gazillion options of, you know, do this for me, create a logo. Okay. So that's great. Then Fancy Hands is another one that does this, but that's a subscription-based service. So you need to learn how to hire people to work for you on discrete projects or even on ongoing projects if you need ongoing help. So if you need a receptionist to answer your phone and you do, you should, you know, look into a service like Smith AI or Ruby receptionist, right? Those are two services that compete with each other. There's a gazillion more. Those are the two I know best. I've used both of them. They're great. But that's like, if you need this service, you just hire those people and they figure out all the stuff they need to do. You don't have to figure out how to tell them what to do. So one of the biggest things that I've realized gives people information anxiety is lack of constraint. 
Um, there was a, a, a somewhat famous in the internet world article by a guy named Clay Shirky, who's a professor of media at NYU. And he said, everybody talks about information overload. He goes, we don't have information overload. He goes, what we have is filter failure. Um, and filters are a form of constraint. So, but he was talking about in, in terms of like, people are freaking out because, oh my God, you know, the New York Times isn't the definitive publisher of news anymore. Oh, Encyclopedia Britannica isn't the definitive publisher of news. So he was focusing on the publishing world. Right. But this, this lack of constraint is operating anywhere there is digital stuff. That is the very nature of digital stuff. It is free flowing. It is free to, you know, to download. It goes everywhere. And so that's very unsettling, right? Like if this stuff moves quickly as cheap and all that other stuff, then how do I get comfortable with it? And the answer is you're going to have to build constraints. You're going to have to say, I'm going to systematize my practice. A system is a constraint. Right. A habit is a constraint. Understanding that you need to hire a virtual assistant where you, know, you tell them exactly what to do through a checklist, that's a constraint. You're not ready for that? Then go hire one off of Fiverr because the constraints are pretty much built into the system. They're not, you can't just hire somebody to be your executive assistant on Fiverr. And until you know how to operate in a world where you need to create these constraints, you're going to f struggle, right? So go get the low-hanging fruit, which is right. where the constraints are already built in or where you can wrap your head around it faster. But all the things that are really matter, they're going to feel uncomfortable to you because you are operating in a world where there were constraints. The factory was a constraint. The nine to five was a constraint. All of those things were constraints and they made your life easier but they're gone now. And, and well, to, to follow up what you're saying and talking about some of these resources you mentioned is that people, attorneys forget to set boundaries or restraints yep. on their work life. Yep. They don't have to Bound, boundaries are Boundaries are constraints. You, you need yep. to be building constraints yep. everywhere in your work because your knowledge work by definition, doesn't have constraints. It could happen at any moment. Your phone could ring and you and you have to say to yourself, am I going to answer my phone? And the answer should be no, okay? Right. So a lot, some of these constraints are mindset driven. Like I have a lawyer friend who he feels like if his cell phone rings, it's his duty to answer it. I'm sorry, you're game over. You lost in the first round right. in this world. What you need is to use acuity Right? right, and then that way, people who want to book an appointment with you can, or if they right. contact you via email, you say yes, you can contact me, and here's a link based on the appointment type, right. or you don't answer your. I don't. I don't answer my phone unless it's my kids, or my wife. That's it, or maybe mm -hmm. a few of my friends, ones that I can count on one hand, and they don't call me out of the blue either. Right? They'll they'll text me, hey, you available? Yes, no, whatever. So you can't assume people are, are available at all times to take a call. That is a, that is a fiction that, or that's something that existed in the prior world. We're, we're out of that. The phones right, move right. around now. They're not tethered to the wall. Um, so you have to build these constraints in and you have to understand that that's what your job is now. If you don't, if you're not willing to do that and you can figure it out, it's not hard, but once you understand that is my job, I need to constrain behavior. I need to tell people what I expect from them, tell them what to do, define things, set boundaries, use systems, all that stuff. One of the constraints that I love using is the programs that allow you to send uh, your email at a different time. 
Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Perfect when, example. When you're, you know, cause sometimes, you know, I, I might want to respond to some emails uh, late at night or even on the weekends, but quite honestly, I don't want to set the expectations that I'm up at 10 o'clock and I'm available sure. to talk or that I'm available for the weekend. What I do is I set them unless they're like, you know, deadline critical, I'll set them for the next day or for the next business day. And, you know, they'll get responded to accordingly. And I think that really helps set boundaries. Yeah. So I use an app called Spark on my iPhone, which is a Mac-based thing. So you can use it on on your iPhone, mm-hmm. even if you're not a Mac Windows user. But if you're a Mac, you know, Mac computer user, but if you're a Mac computer user, there's an app for it and it synchronizes from the phone to the computer. So that's great. But I would have, I use it mostly on my phone because the emails that I'm going to respond to quickly for the most part or not respond to for the reason you just said, uh, you know, I'm going to do on my phone because, hey, I got my phone up. So I look and I'll see like, okay, right now I'm looking at my phone and I see that I have an email, you know, a couple of emails, one from somebody who canceled an acuity appointment. So that's great. But I can type out an email that I want to send to you and then say, schedule it later. Right. That's one of the features. The other feature that I love is that it lets you create templates. Okay. And so while text expander is great and you can use it on your iPhone, this is better because part of the templates that spark email, which is run by the company Readle, it does PDF expert and stuff. So it's it's a very high quality company. They, the templates, you can set it up and say, Hey, first name. And if it's, you're responding to a person, it'll pull their first name. Okay, so when yeah. people email me, I'll go, you know, Hey, and it'll just trigger. And I, so I build these templates, it's, you know, sometimes in my phone, but sometimes on the Mac because it synchronizes. And what's also cool is I can share these emails with my wife. So my wife could theoretically answer emails for me using the templates. No, 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 wait for, for the listener, your wife is also your assistant. Yeah. Yeah. We work together in the business. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We work together (laughs) in the business. So Donna, Donna and I work together and she can see all my emails and I can see all her, the work emails. I mean, we could do it personally too, but she can see the work. We both see the work emails. So I use this program and I look in and I can see all the emails across both of them. Or I can look at just the ones that she has. Now, what I prefer to do is just look at the ones I have because she tends not to delete her emails and that, you know, I find overwhelming, no constraint. Um, But in my email thing, I can see hers, but she can see mine. So once I've created a template, she could, and we've talked about this, we're gearing up for it. So at some point she could do this, but really we're gearing up for this, not so much so she can do it. So that when we hire a full-time virtual assistant or a, you know, a regular part-time virtual assistant to do this, they would just be able to use the templates that we've already created. All this is just happening on a phone. Right. And and actually uh, to go back a step, that's something you can also do with text expander, all the snippets, all the shortcuts you create. Not like you can share with other parties uh, or your assistants, uh, other coworkers, but you can share it across devices so that if you have both a Mac and say a Windows device or vis-a-vis or on some of your, um, or on your smartphone, I think you can use it on on a Windows smartphone, but I know you can use it on your iPhone and iPad. Uh, It it helps that they automatically sync across the board so that you're not recreating, uh, you know, snippets and also at the same time you're being consistent in the snippets that you guys are using. Yeah. But so here's, so here's the thing about, text expander on the phone. Mm -hmm. One, 
you have to pull up a different keyboard right. and that's a weird thing. True. Two, I already mentioned that it doesn't insert the name. You can't read because it's just kind of right. dumb on a phone. But the other thing it doesn't do is it won't paste in a masked hyperlink. So a link where you select the word and then make the word hyperlinked. Mm-hmm. It's called a masked hyperlink. And those are prettier than just pasting some gobbledygook. Um, with with uh, Spark, you can do that. Like the templates okay. put in the hyperlinks. And I use a lot of hyperlinks because a lot of my templates have to do with somebody like saying, oh, I can't log in or, oh, I want to book an Acuity appointment. Well, you know, the Acuity appointment, if I use a template on Spark um, email, I can have it as a masked hyperlink. So if I may ask, what uh, email program do you use on your Mac? Um, I use, on my Mac, I use Spark when I use email. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. And what's funny is, so, so I've really gotten good at inbox zero. I tr- like, I never have any emails in my inbox because if Donna doesn't handle it, because it's something that, you know, she's dealing with, which is she deals with customer service issues and a lot right. of routine stuff, but I look at what's going on and I try to create templates for it. And so mm-hmm. if I can create a template, then I just do it because it gives me a chance to interact with people and right, right. and stuff like that. But so I don't really get a lot of emails that sit that I have to sit around with. My personal email, I've started using the service called Hey. I don't know if you heard about this, but the guys who created Basecamp who are super thoughtful developers. Right. That email is broken. It doesn't have constraints. They don't use that word, but that's basically what they're talking about. And one of the biggest lack of constraints with emails is anybody can email you if they have your email address. In Hey, which and if you go to hey.com, that's where you could try it out for 14 days for free. Um, at, with Hey email, if I open it up, oh, so like right now I'm looking. So Hey email, I have five first-time senders. It's got a big green bar across the top. It's saying screen five first-time senders. So if I click on that, it's going to say, here are these people. It's going to show me the emails. And one is from... Z-D-G-L-O-P-I dash one. Okay, I know I, I'm not. And it says, welcome auto insurance quotes. No, that person can never email me again. Rather than filter it out later, I block them. And from now on, no more. That's not coming in. Here's one from Shannon about something. She's with the Virtual Summit software, fine. Another one from Z-D-W, whatever. No, bong. Drizzly, no, I don't care about that. Chase Sapphire preferred, eh, I don't know, that could be related to something related to my Chase thing. I'll come back to that later. If I let that one in, that Chase one, and I say to myself, well, that's a slightly different email address from these other email addresses that Chase sends me stuff. I can bundle them all together and say from now on that, put that all under one contact and group those emails together. So this is just a whole bunch of things that Hey does. Another one of the things is you have an inbox and a previously seen. That's it. Once you've read the, the email, mm-hmm. it moves to previously seen. Um, you can delete it if you want, but it just goes to previously seen. If as you're looking through your inbox, you go, oh, I need to reply to that later. There's an option for reply or reply later. You just go through the ones you know you want to reply later, hit reply later, reply later, reply later. All right. It groups them together and then you go to reply later and you can batch process those. Batch processing is another constraint. You shouldn't do random discrete tasks that are all similar at different times. You right. should batch process them as much as possible. So the people who created Hey understand the need for constraint and they don't 
billet, and they never use the word constraint, but they have just predefined constraints that make sense. And for sure, it makes sense that if I don't want to hear from this person, I'm not going to just let them email me. Screw that. You're, and I, I love using that feature. In fact, sometimes I'll pull it up just to see if there's any first-time senders that I can screen out and feel good about like denying them access. So, hey, sounds like a proactive uh, uh, version of SaneBox, which is more correct. Of a which is more correct. Of a reactive. Um, correct. And I use SaneBox, and I love I loved SaneBox, and I had it on my personal email account. Mm -hmm. But now I'm moving it over to my business email account, which I kind of may not even need because, well, actually, that's not true. I do get emails in my uh, business account from the politicians who aren't who shouldn't be allowed to email me for the first time without my permission, but right. the can spam act is a joke. It's not enforced by anybody, least of all politicians. So um, I'm moving the same box over to my business account so that I can okay. screen out all those emails because you can't use Hey at the moment with a business account. You have to use their domain. You can't get an email address at some private thing currently. Eventually they'll allow that. But right now your email address has to be at hey.com. Gotcha. So I just forward all my personal emails over to um, at hey.com. And then eventually when they allow domain thing, I'll just convert that my business, my personal account um, so that the emails go directly. And I'm, and I'm just going to drop Google. I'm not using Google for my personal account anymore. Okay. Now on the business side, I think I probably do because of plugins and I don't know, there's a bunch of factors that I'll have to consider. Um, I've forgotten what they are, but I've already identified a few that where I can, where I realize like, yeah, I probably can't move. Well, one of them is going to be templates until Hey ha lets you have templates mm -hmm. to respond to things. I can't use it because one constraint of Hey is you have to use their email app on the mm -hmm. Android or the, on the iPhone. You can't use spark. So I wouldn't be able to use spark with Hey. Maybe they'll change oh, that. Okay. Maybe they'll change that. If they do, well, then I would use my business account with Hey. But um, at the moment, they don't. So I, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why it is, but you know that's that's the constraint there. Sounds like they've got a couple of steps to do before you know we can really utilize it in the business realm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So let me ask you for our last question: uh, How do you see technology? What three ways do you see technology changing in the future for attorneys? Well, I think everything that can be automated or outsourced or streamlined through those two things, that's going to happen by either other attorneys who are very forward thinking with technology or with non-lawyer companies like LegalZoom and others who are going to do it. So the disruption is going to happen at the lower end of the knowledge spectrum, the data information side. And that's, that's where automation, outsourcing and AI is going to be a threat to lawyers. So you need to either be one of those lawyers who's good at using that, which actually you should be just for right. your own sake, um, or you're going to be disrupted. So that's the threat level part of it. The opportunity part of it is that for knowledge work, for things that require thoughtfulness, that require intuition, that require instincts, mm -hmm. which people pay more money for because you can't automate it or outsource it. All right. And it's more enjoyable that's where there's going to be more opportunity for lawyers, right? But to, to leverage those opportunities, you're going to need to have the things happening that are low level things happening through 
outsourcing or virtual or um, or automation. And so one of the things that we learned through COVID, if you look at businesses that um, didn't do or that are having trouble, businesses that have employees mm-hmm. all have problems because those employees uh, aren't needed as much, you know. And in some cases, they're not needed at all. At all, like if you're a restaurant and you can't open, as some of them, you know, weren't able to, and maybe won't be again, you don't need all those people. So that's an issue, right? If you need fewer people, um, or if you need fewer people temporarily, that's an issue, right? So for lawyers, you're going to need to get better virtual assistants. So the load balancing part of well, how much do I need somebody to help me do stuff? Mm-hmm that's gonna be a virtual assistance problem. And here's where I would say in my last recommendation, there's this company called lawclerk.legal, lawclerk legal. You can Google lawclerk legal. And it's created by a couple of attorneys and it's basically a a marketplace for hiring freelance attorneys to work with you on matters. And it's free to sign up. Doesn't cost anything to sign up. And so for me, every, this is a principle of technology. Anything where it's free to sign up or free to try it for a certain number of days, assuming in the case of the free trial period, it makes sense for you to invest the time, which in many cases it doesn't. But in this case, it does. Every lawyer should sign up for an account there and start working out what can I give to people who work for me virtually? Because once you figure this out, then whenever you get swamped, you can quickly offload that work to those people and you can charge those costs to the client if you need to, but you can load balance, right? Like this is the new world, the load balancing, working remotely, automating. That's what you need to be working on. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I I greatly appreciate your thoughts and your time today. Uh, Ernie, one thing um, I'm going to ask you just before I I ask where people can find you, uh, can you clarify for the listener, for your small firm bootcamp, you handle both Macs and Windows. It doesn't matter what operating system you're using. Yeah. So small firm bootcamp, just to clarify what, and you see that, you see that behind me on that poster. Uh, That's an old poster. So that was the original name of the company, which I changed to lawfirmautopilot.com. So the website is lawfirmautopilot.com. And the answer to that question, which is a question I get from time to time about well, wait, does it matter what technology you, I use or Mac or Windows or does it matter? It does none of it matters. I have people that are in Australia, you know, in Spanish speaking countries. It's not about the specific technology. It's about the principles, the best practices and the best tools, which in most cases are now are cloud-based or are cl- cross-platform gotcha. as is Text Expander. So I help them figure out how to get the how to move forward from whatever level they're at now to get to the next level efficiently excellent excellent well i appreciate your thoughts on that and i'm sure the listener does too so tell us where can we find you so i think the best thing for people who want to learn more to do would be to go to lawfirmautopath.com and i have a, a free resource there which i call the the basic guide to working smarter because all of the stuff I've described, I lump together under the category of you're, you need to work smarter, which, which means you need to use technology. You need to use other things, including, including psychology and other factors, but technology is one. And, you, and when you use these things effectively, you're working smarter, not harder. Right. And so I have a guidebook. It's, you know, a couple of pages, like 10, I think 10 pages. You can download it for free and it'll explain all that stuff. And then I also have a guidebook 
about my top recommended tech tools, which after you get that first guidebook, I'll deliver to you by email. Mm -hmm. So if you stay on my email uh, list, after having downloaded that, you will go through a series of emails where I'll drip out in bite-sized digestible chunks, different things that you need to pay attention to. Because I learned that if you're really interested in this mm -hmm. and you wanna learn it, you're gonna need to learn it over time in discrete chunks, otherwise you're gonna get overwhelmed. And so I constrain it by dripping it out over time in chunks. And um, yeah, so that's what I would do. Go to lawfirmautopilot.com. You'll see prominently there how to download it, download it, and, um, and you'll go forward. And then after you learn all that stuff, then maybe you can decide to sign up for one of the online courses or whatever, but I, it's all free resources. If you want, I give it all to you for free in bite-sized chunks. Ernie, thank you for that. And thank you for being a guest on our podcast. Thanks, Thanks for having me. And thank you, the listener, for joining me on this episode of the Page podcast. I hope you enjoy yourself, learn something new, and we'll come back in about two Tuesdays for another podcast. If you have any ideas about the presentation, questions about what we discussed today, or ideas about future episodes, please leave comments on the blog or email me directly at michaeldj at the Have a great day and happy luring.